AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 23rd, 2017. You're listening to the best PokerCast money can buy. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this in the show before, but I'm a, a really big fan of documentaries. I like to watch them every once in a while, and I start to binge on them, too. Like, yeah, you get into that mo- mode, you know, and you, you start watching them. So, uh, of course, I just recently got Netflix within the last, well, since Christmas. So I've only had Netflix for a few months, and uh, I I like it because it sort of parses out, like it does recommendations for you, and it's like, based on you watching this... Here are some other things to watch and stuff. So when you start watching, you know, like if you watch a documentary, then it'll be like, here are documentaries. Or if you watch something on poker, it'll be like, here are you because you watch this poker, you know, rounders or something, which I didn't watch rounders, although it is in my feed somewhere in there. I don't know why. But I mean, I, that's the great thing about it in the internet, right? Or the new world we're in. That's not the internet. new world, yeah. But I had a discussion about this this week. I'm not going to get you off topic, but, um, but I'm happy that my computer knows more about me than me. Yeah. It gets, an, it gets annoying that. sometimes, but yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, when you're searching for, like, that perfect gift for your wife on our anniversary, which, by the way, is 21 years today I've been married to my wife. Aww. Oh, um, You know, then when you get the gift, the ads don't stop for, like, two months. Right. So, like, an ad late, it's like, hey, look at this great, you know, no, I'm done. I bought it already. How can I tell them well, I bought it? I by that. I like that. I like that. A month later, they're still showing me the shit that I, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I, I got it. You know, I got the gift. You can't get me that gift again. So, but yeah, um, it's a great feature of Netflix. Too. Yeah, it is it's a great feature. And so yesterday, I had some time, uh, day before yesterday, and uh, scrolling through, and then up on the screen it says Kid Poker. Now I think we talked about this in the show that they were doing when they're releasing it, but I don't yeah. think we ever watched it. No, I don't haven't. So. so I was like, all right, though, but I have not watched. For those of you who don't know who Kid Poker is, that's Danny Negreanu, of course, and. Um, it's a, a pretty well done documentary, and it's by Poker Stars Films, which I thought was really kind of interesting. I mean, it really doesn't mean anything if you just hire, you know, Francis Ford Coppola to do a movie for you, and you know, I mean, whatever. So it's not like not like Poker Stars did it. I think I think they probably hired people to do it, but it's still their company. And um, it, it, first of all, the documentary it it it's on him his entire life, and it's it's totally autobiographical. I mean, and um. It, it shed some light on this Ben Lamb bet, believe it or not, even though it was done in like 2015 wow, really? or whatever. But it, it makes you understand why he's doing this. And uh, I mean, I don't want to spoil alert or anything, but he he really is kind of ticked off that he isn't in the race for bracelet, you know, record. You know, what I mean, he, he he thinks he should be in the mix for having the most bracelets of all time. And he's only got six, and like, what's his name? Helmy's got what thirteen or something. So, you know, he. I think, and then there was also some other stuff in there about he's got this sort of 
now he's taking this sort of positive affirmation kind of, you know, way of life. And I think it sheds some light on why he made this wager. Um, because positive thinking and and the fact that he's so upset that he doesn't have enough bracelets and a few close calls. Um, and I learned a lot of stuff about him that I, you know, over doing it, we've been doing this since the show, since what, 05 or whatever, 04. We've been in po- into poker since 04 uh, together and doing it like this and, and stuff. So when you start to see every one of the World Series segments on somebody and you start to see all the World Poker Tour segments on a person and you read their books and you meet them at the Vinny LeCavalier charity event and you interview them on the show. and So you start to think you know the guy, and pretty much I knew a lot of it. But there were some really interesting things in there about him. Like I didn't know that the first World Series event he entered he won. And he was the youngest bracelet holder of all time at the time. I didn't know that. So there, there are some really cool things they in the documentary. They should have called him Kid Poker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was pretty much probably why they did it. And it, it was funny because Todd Brunson, he had beat Todd Brunson in a separate event that wasn't World Series related. And Todd said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to stake you in this event. And he's like, really? So Todd Brunson staked him, and he won it. And Todd was dating Jen Harmon at the time and said, Jen, go down there and watch this kid. I'll make sure he pays me. <laughs> and so Jen's playing catch games with the Binions, and she's running back and forth until finally he just kept knocking people out. And she's like, well, I'm going to stop playing catch games and watch this kid. And they were inseparable after that. That's that's how they became best friends and whatever. So it was a real good real good documentary. And I, I'm going to pull a Scott Long now, and I'm going to turn it into a much broader topic, which is what I think you like to do. I don't want to take too much time. But um, at the end of it, Ivy, they interview all his friends from the original crew. You know, it was Ivy and Jawanda and, and him. And and so Ivy says that he can't think of many people who have done more for the game of poker than Daniel. And and he says when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame at age 40, the, the, the first year, and um, whatever, it, no one's more deserving than Daniel. And I thought that was an interesting talking point. As as Can you think of, as it pertains to overall in poker, not one facet like moneymaker in or you know Brunson writing super system, but can you think of anybody who has contributed more to the overall success or even awareness to poker than Danny Nugranu when you consider his website, his sponsorship with stars, his uh his uh TV Yeah, I mean everything he's done yeah, you know columns. He writes columns. He's outspoken. He shows up at the TDA when you were there. I know. I think I saw yeah. one of the last one you were there. I saw there was a clip of it in there, and I'm like, "Oh, we're Scott. We're Scott." I was looking for you, you know. But um, when it comes to everything he's done, now, now he's very opinionated. And he may say stuff that ticks people off. There was that clip of him just calling the three uh, full po- full tilt poker guys. You know. Just nasty, nasty stuff for them, and it, right. so I mean, they, so he's come out and said some stuff that really rubs people the wrong way, and then he's, but he's whatever it is, he's always there, and he's got an opinion or whatever. But when it comes to what he's done for poker, and every, and, it, and that was something else too. A lot of people, even Antonio, I think, said, you know, the, it might have been him, might have been someone else, but they said basically, when people think of poker, they think of Dan Agranu. Now I don't know if that's true. Um, but maybe they do. And what? What do you, are there people that you think can contend to that title? I know when they, um, when the American Poker Awards came out, 
they had the first year they had it or whatever, they had the ambassador award. Right. And they said he won it, and it wasn't even close. There was no contest. There was no one else to think of but him. That's what they said, too. So there's a lot of people from all different lives and, and levels of this saying the same things about him. So what do you think? Well, I think there's a lot to that, I would say. I mean, there's. it's interesting. I was going to bring this up during the World Series updates because another thought came to my mind um, about this bracelet bet because I'm like, here I am every week on the show in the World Series updates, I'm writing about him making a final table but not <laughs> hitting the bracelet yeah, yet yeah. and reminding people that he has this his bet. And I'm like, you know, he's a really good marketer, right? Even if he fails in this, he doesn't get the three bracelets. He's in the people's conversation the entire World Series because of this, right? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So he's very smart by that, and, and not just on this thing, but I think everything he's done, he's been very smart about marketing without it being uh, overt about it, I think. Um, uh, he certainly has that personality. I mean, and you did mention he, he can run people the wrong way, but he doesn't run people the wrong way like maybe a Hellmuth. You know, Hellmuth's character is designed to be hated, right? Yeah. And it is a character, I think, but... Um, whereas I don't think Daniel, whether it's a character that he's doing or that's just him, is designed to be disliked. It's just when you become popular, people naturally dislike you for whatever reason, for, for being popular. But generally speaking, I think he's got a, um, a reputation as being a well-liked guy, right? Yeah. Um, I, he's also one of these poker professionals that came out of the TV era, which we're sadly past now, right? And it's still relevant. You know, there's a lot of players, I think, that we talked about a lot when they were on TV every day, watching them on TV. But now that we don't see them on TV every day, they're no longer in our conversation, right? Right. And I think Daniel's always in our con- uh, conversation. So there's something to that as well, too. Um, so I think it's more, to your point, I think it's more of a interest in poker or keeping poker alive that he's been... Um, unparalleled at you know I think it's a fair argument that uh, Doyle Brunson writing a super system is a, a gigantic contribution to the world of poker and Daniel doesn't have that but in terms of keeping people interested in poker um, now when it's harder to um, you know I hate to be one of these like NFL announcers that always says he's the greatest ever, right? Um, and then next week it's another guy. He's the greatest ever. Um, but but I I'm really hard pressed right now to think of somebody that um, keeps poker in the consciousness as much as Daniel. Now I don't know if that means he's done the most for poker, but but certainly um, in terms of uh, making sure that people know that poker's still out there and poker's a fun game, um, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's doing more for that. Yeah. Yeah, so more effectively at it. It's funny because when he said it, I'm like, "Come on!" I'm like, oh, "Wait a minute!" You know what? He's right. I mean, he, I mean, to me, in my opinion, he's right. It's it's yeah. it, it is real. Like you said, it's very difficult to think of someone who has done as much in all those facets overall for poker. Now, like like we all said, there are people who have done charity events. There are people who have started charities, and and those are fantastic things. And that's something too that drives him in this. If you'll if you I don't want to blow up people, but if you watch it. You'll see that they're, you know, he's like, you're a poker player. What are you giving back to society? You're taking money from people. So he's like, you know what, man, I got to start doing something. So they, the charities and stuff too now. So it's, it's really an interesting piece. And I, it's funny because halfway through it, and I'm glad you brought it up too about the old days when it was the era. Cause he, he obviously made his bones before TV poker. 
Right. And then became super popular during TV poker, and is still popular now when TV poker is fading. So, but um, when the first half of the show, it, it, it's halfway point, and they've basically brought it up to current, you know, modern, whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's present day. What else are they going to talk about for the next? I stopped, paused it for a second. There's still 47 minutes left. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, he's controversial, too. And they spent like the last half of it. You know, on on his opinions and stuff. So it was really it was well done. Just when you thought, okay, how much more can they talk about his greatness? Then they talk about the stuff that he does that you know raises awareness through his you know his his big mouth or whatever they want to say. However, he wanted to put it. He he said, "I have a big mouth." I mean, he said that. So, um, <clears throat> but it made me long for the old days a little bit. You know, I used to I used to say I missed it, and I used to have you like not say anything on the show because of spoilers and everything. And now I don't even like, I'll go through the guide and I'll see something live on TV or po- or whatever poker show. And I won't even watch it anymore. And it made me miss the old days. And it, what really depressed me was there were, there were some people they would show on the screen for the, during this documentary. And I couldn't remember their name. And, and, and there were times where even we would be talking about that particular person at dinner that night. Cause we all loved poker. Right. Now I can't remember the guy's name. And that really depressed me. Not because I'm getting older, and it's probably because my memory sucks, but it's because he's not in the whoever that player was. He's you don't see him anymore because right. it's not the high heyday. And I made so it made me nostalgic too. So it's worth watching. I think it's if you're a fan of his or a fan of poker or a fan of that storyline where somebody who comes up and how they became a poker pro because they're all their stories are pretty interesting. Some are you know computer nuts. Um, the stuff you find out about his childhood is really good. Really good stuff. So I, I think it's worth watching. Excellent. Well, I'll put that on my. Uh, I mean, what it's called on Netflix? <laughs> uh, something to watch. Cute. Cute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's it's really worth watching. I recommend it to the Antioch Nation. Awesome. Well, speaking of things really worth watching, <laughs> has nothing to do with poker, but I know uh, folks like uh, when I do crazy stuff. So I hope you will oblige me for fifteen seconds here too to uh, make a pitch um so you remember last year i did that hot dog eating contest i think we talked about this on the show right of course and uh a bunch of people pledged a per dog and uh quite a few listeners too so i really appreciate that and then of course i depressed everybody by only eating five hot dogs <laughs> but we still made 900 dollars from my local neighborhood family center here and it was just a great we had a lot of fun over that month or so building up and then um the actual day when we, we broadcast it live and then obviously giving a check to the charity was really cool for me. So uh, now, obviously, uh, I don't know if you heard, but I'm a city commissioner. Uh, hey. And I'm like, hey, you know, now I'm in a position where I could take that fun that we had last year and multiply it. Yeah. So um, uh, about a month or so ago, I challenged my fellow commissioners and the mayor to join me in a hot dog eating contest this year in our city and had everybody pick a charity and my idea was, hey, we're going to multiply this, right? Well, one thing led to another, and eh, hot dogs aren't healthy, blah, blah, blah. So we decided on watermelon. So this year we're eating watermelon. <laughs> See how much watermelon we could all eat in 10 minutes, and I really have no concept of how much I could eat. I like watermelon, but, you know, half of the word is water. <laughs> but I have faith in you. I think you're going to win this hands down, and here's why. It's mostly liquid and i've seen you put away a lot of liquid in my time so my my, my i mean i i'm not i don't know what these other people are like i don't know anything about them i mean most politicians can probably hammer down a few beers but i think that you are going to 
blow this out of the water. Pardon my pun. Wow. I, I don't see anyone beating you eating watermelon because it's liquid and you have a whole <laughs> new compartment. You've evolved into another. You're like beer man, you know, you're on the chain. So I think you're going to do well. Well, I appreciate that. So we'll see. And um, it's a little different this year because of, you know, we're involving a lot of people. And uh, there's this great uh, charity website out there called Razoo.com, and that's R-A-Z-O-O. And they really help. If, you, if you're doing any kind of fundraiser for any of your charities, it's a great website that uh, allows people to donate with credit card, and the money goes straight to the charity. So you, there's no, you know, um, satchels of money that are being carried around town and stuff. <laughs> Um, uh, so the only limitation on that is that, that they don't do per pledges. So we weren't able to do a, like we did last year with the hot dogs. So, so this year when people donate, they're just donating a fixed amount. And, um, there is still a little bit of a competition because our, our local brewery is going to donate beer for the event and all the money they, they, they earn from selling beer to the spectators will then be split proportionally based on how much watermelon we eat during the contest. So. There is still an incentive to eat as much watermelon, aside just from pride of wanting to. So how are they doing that? Like, how are they going to determine how much you ate versus something? Are they slicing it? or that? Well, Yeah, so this is the interesting thing is when, <clears throat> when people suggested to me watermelon, I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. I'll eat whatever. Um, so I ended up wasting 30 minutes one morning watching watermelon eating contests. On <laughs> well, some of them are really funny, by the way. But anyhow, because um, I was just the same way. I don't know how you do it. And so – and most of them – weren't on how much you eat it was more a time thing you know um or you know some of them you know you tie your hands behind the back and just see how much you eat and we're not doing this for fun we're doing this for you know a contest thing so what we ultimately decided that the only way you could really do it fairly with watermelon is by weight so um the the company that's uh the the produce company that's going to donate the watermelon they're going to slice them into slices and put them in a tray and they're going to weigh the tray before we eat ah yeah and then at the end, and then they're going to wait again. Because, you know, you got rinds and stuff. No one's going to eat the rinds. Right, right. And hopefully you can spit out the seeds. I'm not a big seed guy. but um, And and then just weigh at the end. So I think and, and I think it adds a little extra thing because now we're going to have a weigh-in at the end, right? Yeah. You know, with the hot dogs, people could actually keep a count. And as soon as the contest is over, you know who won. Now you don't really know. You're going to have an idea, but you're not going to know until the actual. You know what would make it really fun? Is if they weighed the contestants first, <laughs> and they weighed them at the end instead of the stuff, you know that would be hilarious. You know when I first mentioned this, somebody said that, "Oh my God, I'm going to have to stand on a scale." I'm like, "No, not you." <laughs> <laughs> but it would be funny though. Of course, if you, you know, women don't like to know their weight, so you don't want if there are any women in there, you don't want to do that. But yeah, that's so pretty good. We have some real rail thin women uh, competing in this. We got some big guys. So um, there's watermelon, and who knows what's going to happen? But, Doesn't matter. You're going to win anyway. I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank you. So you've got a whole new um, liquid compartment um, in there somewhere. So anyhow, if uh, you know, over we've been over twelve years here, we always have people. Hey, I want to help you guys out. How however I can. I'm not going to buy a sh- uh, an ad. I'm not going to go on a cruise. So um, I, you know, we did this last year, and this is what I'm doing last year. If you've ever wanted to thank us for twelve years of shows, and you've got at least five bucks that you could uh, help us out. Uh, it's all for charity. Go to razoo.com slash teams slash melons. And Chris will put that link in the Poker Radius recap. Yep. Um, and uh, make a donation. And a uh, different charity uh, um, I'm meeting for this year. This year is a, it's called Paint Your Heart Out Safety Harbor. There's Paint Your Heart Outs all across the country. And essentially one, one day a year, a bunch of volunteers get together and uh, paint houses of you know elderly people or people that have um, not been able to paint themselves. And it was a fun charity we did last year, my wife and I, and uh, 
looking forward to do it again this year. It's really nice when the homeowner comes out and sees his essentially brand new house. It looks like yeah, yeah, Outside. awesome. So it's, it's it's a good cause. So again, razoo.com slash team slash melons, and I would appreciate any help the Any Up Nation can give me. They really should have called it watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this a little bit. Actually, the overall charity is called Melons for uh, Melons for Kula. So, oh man! So we we couldn't come up with watermelons or something. <laughs> All right, World Series updates. As we mentioned, Daniel Negreanu, who has a wager that he'll win three bracelets this series, uh, made another final table, but still has no bracelet after finishing sixth in event number thirty, the ten thousand dollar horse championship. Uh, David Bach won the event, giving him his second bracelet of the series. Frank Maggio beat a record field of 5,389 to win event number 31, the $1,000 Seniors Championship. James Moore is repeated as champion of the Super Seniors, which was event number 35 this year, also with a $1,000 buy-in. And at the halfway point of the series, total entries sit at 61,616, up slightly over last year's record year. Um. First of all, the you know the more we keep bringing up Negreanu's name, the more money he makes, and so the the bet is going to be offset. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly, that's what right? I'm saying, right? You know, he's a fa- he's a master marketer. I, it, it's, it, I feel bad that it took me until like yesterday to realize that. But yeah, um, but can we say that David Bach is the greatest like mixed game tournament player there is? Wiley is doing uh, really, really, really good at these things. Right? I mean, he won the 10K horse and the dealer's choice this year. He won. He was the one that won the 50K a few years back, right. which yeah. is the player's championship where they have all those games. I mean, this guy knows how to do it. He, know, he He's just he's unbelievable. Yeah, three, All of his bracelets are in these mixed games, and they're all tough mixed games, too. They're not just like two or three things or back-to-back. I mean, they are horse... Players Championship, Dealer's Choice. This guy's got got a game, man. You know, and there's an interest. It brings up an interesting discussion I saw with uh, you know Matt Savage. I saw on his Facebook page um, a couple weeks ago, maybe, um, and I'm sure it was on Twitter. But you know, I'm not a 14 year old girl, so I'm not on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, his, his question, and of course, he gets thousands of responses every time he posts, right? But his question was. Um, can you be considered a professional player if all you know how to play is no limit hold'em? Yeah, <clears throat> that's. And I have time to go through all the. And I'm sure there's a range of opinions there, um, and I, I guess I would say yes, you could still be a professional player. But we've talked about this from the beginning that I don't think you're a complete player. Right. If all you know is one game. Right. I don't if care you're... how good you are at that one game. You're not a complete player. So, um, you know, David Bach might not be the most famous poker player out there, but I think you're right. He's certainly making a case for being the most well-rounded player out there. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know what he's like in tournament, uh, cash games, I mean. I mean, this is all tournament stuff, but obviously if you you can do this in tournaments, you can do it in cash too. So he clearly is tops. And and I I agree with you. I think if you change the definition, then you're right. People aren't complete players if they just play holding but yeah of course you're a professional you're playing poker for a living and you're making money and you're living that way sure you're a professional poker player but you're a professional holding player maybe you could say that i don't know but holding is poker you know there's nothing wrong with having specialties you know they all kinds of sports have you know are can you really be considered a football player if you're just a kicker right you know of course he's a football player but he's a kicker he's a punter he doesn't do anything else but punt or kick but he's still a professional football player you know so yeah, 
I think. I mean, not, not that I want to make the show any longer for a whole new topic. We can talk about this forever. I wonder how many shows you've made longer by saying <laughs> I don't think. I know, exactly. But, well, it's because we like to talk. And, you know, it gets going. we got things to do. We're busy people. i got an anniversary to celebrate. Yeah, watermelon to eat. So uh, we said at the halfway point of the series, 61,000, That's hilarious, that number, 61616. Yeah. It's like a SOS. Um, but it's funny because people were voicing their concerns over the Colossus being down a few thousand, but yet we're increased about halfway through. And there's more events this year, aren't there? Than uh, last year, seventy four, I think. This yeah, year. I think I last year wasn't. It's it's probably similar to what it was last year. So we're gonna have more anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> but the other interesting thing about that colossal discussion is, I think people kind of use that as kind of a bellwether as to how the series is going. But I think as we talked about on the show. Um, a couple of weeks ago when that was on, that there's some players that just decide that that's not a good investment anymore. That doesn't mean that they're not spending that same money on another event right. or more events, right? right? It just means that they've decided that one event is not as exciting. So, um, I mean, it could be a bellwether, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a bellwether. And it seems like right now, at least halfway through, that it, it wasn't. It was just folks decided, hey, I'm not going to spend three bullets on this tournament that I don't think is a good value anymore. But I'm going to spend that fifteen hundred combined or whatever it was on a fifteen hundred dollar event that maybe I wasn't going to play before. Right, and I'm I'm going to go on a limb and say these events are going to start to fade, like the marathon. We yeah. still don't know the winner of the marathon. It's like a month later, you know. Well, not the giant. We don't know. The, or the giant. One of them. The, the mar- yeah, the giant, not the marathon. The giant. I mean, we. I mean, that's. Uh, who who's going to stick around Vegas for a month if you played on the first day and then you know or whatever? I, I just I think some of these events, like you said, even the the Colossus, you know, are you going to want to stick around and play that many people that for that long a period of time? You know, when you could be entering other two day and three day events and getting out of Vegas, you know, or or whatever, or moving on to Venetian ones or whatever. So I think that eventually those might fade. I'm not, you know, I'm not making predictions, but I feel like they might. They might go away eventually. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You know, I, don't know. I mean, it's always evolving. So, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing that we're up to seventy four bracelet events now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm always a fan of more variety, even if it doesn't really work out. So, uh, I'm never going to criticize the World Series for having events that attract a hundred thousand, a hundred or a thousand people, depending on what it is that are right. considered failures. Right. So, absolutely. Well. Hey, any updates? We have five upcoming Annie Up Poker Cruises on our schedule with deadlines for our August 26th sailing to Cuba and our September 17th sailing out of Galveston, Texas, closing in fast. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Listeners have flooded us with hands of the week, but we're still in need of listener spotlight and call the floor submissions. Email us at podcast at com or post in the Antioch group discussions at pokerradius.com. This week we, uh, oh wait, each week we spot your name is, <laughs> I can't read it, your name's over. Week and every week. <laughs> uh, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with call the floor and hand of the week, we send them something cool comes from Justin Mastandria. He says, I'm... Right, Am I, you think so? Mastandria? 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 I think I got it right. I don't know. He corrected us last time. He can tell how closely we listen. So. 
Jason, uh, Justin M. I got his first name wrong, too. <laughs> I'm at Foxwoods with a friend playing 2-5 Nolem and Hold'em, and I'm holding Ace of Hearts, Jack of Hearts. Uh, on the, and it says, on a board of Ace of Spades, 7 of Hearts, 8 of Hearts, 5 of Clubs. Uh, it says, the small blind bets three-quarters of the pot. Before the hand started, my buddy mentioned to me that the Penguins had started a power play, and when I looked up after my turn, they still had one. Uh, I think about this for what I think is a short amount of time before someone not in the hand goes, he's taking too long. Four. I go to protest, but the dealer calls the floor. So uh, this person not in the hand explains that I've been taking too long on a lot of hands, and this is another instance. I look up again and see the power play just ending. I tell the floor that the hand hasn't even been two minutes, so how can I be taking too long? The floor says that if a player is complaining that they have a right to request a floor and I'm given the countdown, I fold the hand to my actual opponent, who tells me good laydown in terms of our pocket aids for a set. Do you guys ever call the floor in a cash game uh, if you're not in the hand? If so, how long do you wait to do so? And how long do you think it is acceptable amount of time for you to think of what to do on a hand? I have never once called the floor in a cash game or a tournament. Me neither. I mean, I called the clock. I mean, called the clock. Yeah, I mean, I've never called the clock or asked for a floor. Ever. I mean, I've never done it. Now, I don't play as much as I used to, and I certainly don't play tournaments anymore, so clocks are kind of like out of my, you know, realm anyway because I don't you don't have clocks in cash games really. So, I mean, they if they they do, but really they don't. So, yeah, I wouldn't I don't do that. Hey, if you want to take whatever. I mean, sometimes I get annoyed when I was in tournaments where I'm short stacked and the blinds are going to go up and I'm like, "Come on, man, you know, let me get another hand in before I got to just shove." So, but I I still have never done it. I've never actually called. Yeah. Now, I I don't want anybody to think that I am saying that you should never do it because you're right there are times that i want to do it i just my personality just doesn't allow me to do it unless somebody's like really being a jerk about it and i just have not encountered anybody being a real jerk about it i've seen people be jerk adjacent with it but i've never seen anybody actually be a real jerk about it so um i I can't answer that question for justin m because uh uh well i can say that i've never called a in a a cash game too i don't get it because (laughs) the blinds aren't going up so you know, if somebody wants to take some time, that's fine, I guess. I mean, really, the only thing that they're hurting is you know, your ability to get some more hands in, which is a problem. But I don't think it's it's nowhere near the problem it is in a tournament when there's an actual clock and all other kinds of things going on. So, um, but if I did, it would have to be a habitual um, offender, and it would have to be an habitual offender who I just don't like <laughs> right? right right if it's somebody that i just think is just kind of like rain manish and just taking their time because that's how they they play the game i'm going to give them a little benefit of doubt on that but if it's somebody that i can tell is doing it just so people pay attention to them because mom didn't hug them enough as a kid and is generally berating players is you know not not tipping the waitresses <clears throat> uh, <laughs> or you know anything like that where i just you know i look at that guy and i'm like i I know I hate this guy. <laughs> Outside yeah. the poker table, I hate him. Yeah. And I'd be more likely to do it for that reason, which is... Um, but I, I just never have. And um, as far as uh, acceptable amount of time to think what you can do on a hand, you know, I guess it depends on the situation and everything. I mean, in this point, I might say to Justin, hey, if you're in the middle of hand, maybe you don't watch the Penguins power play. 
Yeah. Because uh, that almost seems like, at this point now, I can see, hey, this guy is not invested in the game. He's more invested in the hockey. If you want to watch the hockey game, fold your hand and watch the hockey game. Uh, but some of us are here to play poker. And so now I don't think that's what Justin was trying to do. I think he's just like, you know, hey, whatever. But but I, th- I think there is some acceptance that Justin has to take here of the fact that he kind of contributed to this um, by giving the impression that he was more invested in something other than the poker game. So that that would probably make me more likely to do it. Um, and, if, and if you're if you're actually thinking in your hand, I'm going to give you more time. If I think you're just not paying attention, then yeah, make a decision. I, I And I, I don't want to leave him hanging with the last question about how long do you think it's acceptable for yourself to be considering a hand and everything depends it just depends you know i mean are you willing to make a hero call do you think this you know i mean there are so many things that are going to go through your head i've played with this player before the last time i did this with him he did you know but really if i need to take more than a minute you know it's it's got to be because it's a big deal you know i i the longest i've ever thought on a hand is probably a minute probably and even that i apologize to the table when i'm doing it you know like if i if i get past 30 seconds i uh, an internal my internal clock is telling me hey if what would i be thinking if i'm sitting over there you know so i'm like hey guys sorry about that i just i really got to think this through because something's not right and then i'll think about it and then generally if i think that long i'll call because there's it's just you know i i don't know but anyway yeah i i don't know what the time is but i think if you've used more than a minute something's wrong you know, something's wrong with with your thinking, or something's wrong with the hand. You know, I don't know, but if, I I very rarely have taken longer than a minute in my life. Now, again, I'm just some hack who runs a poker magazine. You know, I'm not some pro who's playing for 500 grand. So I don't know, and I'm sure there are reasons to think longer than a minute if your house payment's on the line. Yeah. But but uh, if you're playing for entertainment, you know, and you're just there to become a better player. You know, think about all the stuff that because most of the time when you're taking that long, something has surprised you. Something is shocking because if you're not thinking about it throughout the hand and thinking about what would have happened as the hand's going long, then something deserves your time. But after a minute, I I couldn't possibly take that long. I don't know about you. Well, I think you made a very good point too that uh, most of us, when we feel like we're taking too long, mention that right. Yeah. You know, hey. Sorry, guys, this is just a really tough spot, or hey, hey, this is for a lot of money, or hey, this is for my tournament life. And when people say that, they generally get the benefit of the doubt from people. Because uh, now, they, you know, hey, now you've, you've shown some empathy to the rest of the players that you know that your delay in this hand is affecting them. And I think people appreciate that. And it's also nice to explain to them why, you know. So, like, okay, all right, I get it. Because sometimes, you know, you know, how many times have you been at a table where somebody, like, it's an easy call or an easy fold because you just see the hand differently, right? Yeah. And somebody else is struggling to get to that point. So you're like, I don't understand what's, what's going on here. But, you know, maybe you have another um, point of thought that that person hasn't thought of. So now you've just mentioned it. So I, I definitely think if you are taking longer in a hand to make a decision, you know, Apologizing and letting people know the reason why they're going to help keep them from calling the clock on you. That and not watching the power play. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antiapmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from our good friend Matt Bodorf. 
He says, I have a question about the rules of table talk, or speech play, as it's becoming known. We're in a 50-player tournament in a California card room. On the river, it's just me and my opponent, who has just shoved all in. Reluctantly about to fold, after considering for a few seconds, I say, quote, I guess you could could have Queen Jack. I'm not even done finishing the sentence, and the dealer says, No discussing the hand. I fold in silence, and play continues. Is this strict enforcement of no talking is a uh, wait? Is this strict enforcement of no talking a true interpretation of TDA rules, or did this room just fall in love with a house rule that needs to go? Wow, that's a good. I like how the, he phrased the question there. It's yeah. like a maxing question there. Yeah, yeah. All right, Elliot says uh, apparently you were playing in a card room that has completely misinterpreted the TDA rules regarding etiquette and hand disclosure. TDA rule sixty-two states. Players must protect other players in the tournament at all times. Therefore, players, whether in the hand or not, must not, one, disclose contents of live or folded hands, two, advise or criticize play at any time, three, read a hand that hasn't been tabled. One player to a hand is in effect. Among other other things, this rule prohibits showing a hand to or discussing strategy with another player, advisor, or spectator. Uh, so that's the rule. And Ellie goes on and says, This rule is meant to keep players from disclosing the contents of their own live or discarded hands. In no way is this or any other TDA rule meant to prevent speculating on your opponent's hand in a heads-up situation. Speculating on an opponent's hand in a multi-way situation or when you are not in the hand currently being played would be a distinct violation of Rule 62 and of one player to a hand. What you did was certainly not any of these. Uh, you should discuss this with the management of the card room and find out why they put in a no discussion rule into effect. By TDA rules, you committed no violation, but that card room is free to enforce any rules they please. And of course, it brings Negranu back into the mix again because that was one of the things that he he always fought on was when they were, they had that rule back then about no talking or something. Yeah, and, he, and that, that was a big reason he came to TDA Summit two years ago. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, it was to criticize a potential rule uh, that would essentially quiet. The tables down on this, right, so, right. and I know Matt here is a big uh, fan of, of speech play, as he calls it. I mean, he thinks it's a really important part of his game, and that's great. It's it's not a part of my game at all, so you know, he and I kind of like butt heads on that a little bit. But, um, but so what's interesting about this is that it does seem like it's a house rule, and there might be a reason that that particular casino doesn't like talking at all maybe it's become a problem before maybe it's led to a problem before and then you know a lot of times that's what rules come from right is if somebody abuses something or it happens too often then you sit down and go all right what how can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again and you create a rule and then five years later maybe that rule doesn't make sense anymore yeah but, um but that doesn't mean it didn't make sense at some point or it doesn't still make sense for that particular room I mean, the one thing that I, the one thing I can always tell you from all the poker rooms I've been to is every poker room is different. Yeah. You know, they all have you know, there's always a dealer dealing cards, and you know, they all play hold'em. Um, but but the players and the dynamic and everything in every room is completely different. So there's some rooms that uh, really need, I in my opinion, need to add a bunch of house rules because their players just out of control. There's other rooms that I've seen rules that just didn't make any sense at all. Um, but but the player dynamic is different everywhere. So maybe this this casino probably was trying to address a dynamic that they felt was not good either for the players or for the room. But yep. maybe not. All right. O'Malley's move is revealed today. I'm so excited. Here comes part one. Hello. 
hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game. We bought in for $200 and are currently down about 15 bucks. The player to our left straddles under the gun to $6. He's a loose player that is experienced in the game and likes to see flops. He started the hand with 100 more than us, 285. The action goes around the table, and there are three callers to us with the king of hearts, king of clubs, in the big blind. We make it $40 to go. The under the gun straddler calls, and with about $90 in the pot, the flop is the queen of diamonds, seven of hearts, four of clubs. We make a bet of $50 into the pot, leaving us about 100 behind. The under the gun quickly calls. The turn is the four of spades. It's to us. What's the move? All right, no reason to give up the control of the hand, in my opinion. Uh, half the pot is about 100 bucks, and that's about what we have left, so shove. Shove. <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you got an overpair, and there's really no draw, but this guy's, you know, betting and calling our bets, I mean, and I'm ready to go, so let's let it go. All right, here's part two. Hello again. Could we be beat here? I really don't think so. Pocket Queens probably raises us pre-flop, and the only naked four it could be is a possible ace four. I guess sevens make sense, but that's a monsters under the bed scenario in my mind. We shove. Our opponent agonizes for quite a while and tries to talk through the hand. We remain silent, growing more comfortable every second. Our opponent ultimately decides to call. We show our kings, and he turns over an offsuit king-queen. A third four hits the river, and we rake in a nice pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes things work out, like getting a premium hand in the blinds against a straddler. I hope to see you on the film. All right, tough decision there for our opponent, I think, but uh, I'm glad we didn't scare ourselves out of this one. Yeah, it's always nice when all three of us agree and we win, uh, but uh, it was definitely the right move. All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. This week comes from Steve Pavlicek. That was right. Sounds good. I just to see if you were going to correct It's like, it's like Pavlicek from the <laughs> – sounds good to me. All right, and this is a hand from a uh, World Series of Poker Circuit main event in Cherokee, Harris, Cherokee. Nice. All right, I've never played one of those before, so you're already winning, Steve, in my book. All right, uh, blinds are 100, 200, and uh, we have uh, under the gun plus one and middle position player limp, and we are in the small blind with ace of hearts, king of diamonds. Nice. Uh, I have been burned way too many times by not raising with ace-king. And then you'll hit your ace, but someone else limped with a baby ace, and they'll make two pair on you and stuff. So uh, I'm going to raise. I, I, I Sometimes I'll call with ace-king when I get an idea of what these people play like and what hands they might be playing. But generally I get burned with ace-king a lot when I call with ace-king and don't raise, and you know there's some other people calling with ace rag, they'll hit their ace and their rag, and then you're losing half your stack. So I like to try to thin the field as much as possible when I'm carrying a hand like this in case I hit my king or my ace. So 
I'm going to raise. Generally, I'd make it 600, but we got a couple of limpers, so maybe a 800 or a 750 or 900, something somewhere in that range, more than 600 uh, because of the limpers. So eight or nine, maybe. I, I don't. I don't want to have rag hands sticking around and making two pair on me. Uh, I have lost so much money on ace queen ace jack um, and even ace king now. Ace king's different, I think, obviously because there's other hands you lose money based on the kicker. Um, uh, my problem with this is, and I know I'm going to get flamed. I'm going to play this uh, very weakly, uh, but I'm going to limp along here and hope the flop helps me, and because I'm disciplined enough to get away from it, if not. Because my problem with Ace King and Small Blind is now I got to be first to act. So if I'm going to be first to act the rest of the time, I want a hand that I feel comfortable c betting with and firing again on the turn, even if I don't improve. And I never feel comfortable doing that with Ace King. Give me a pair, uh, even a suited connector that might give us a little bit more play. I, I might be able to do that, but I don't like I don't like taking control of this hand now, knowing I'm going to be out of position and have to. You know, be the be the brave guy that keeps firing bullets here uh, when when I miss. So I I'm going to go ahead and limp along here and disguise my hand and hopefully uh, get a good flop and get some money. And um, if not, and the action gets hot and heated, then hey, I got another hand coming up later on. So. Sounds good. All right. Uh, looks like our hero is on Team Scott today because he calls oh. and the big blind checks. Oh. Um, and the flop is Queen of Spades, Jack of Hearts, Ten of Spades. Wow, that's kind of hitting it pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Just, just the nuts. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty nice. Of course, you hate the spades, and you don't want the board to pair. But other than that, yay! I we're not we're not first to act, right? So I'm. We are a small blind. So. Oh, we're small blind. I'm sorry. All right. I wanted to call. How much is in the pot? Uh, let's see. We had one, two limpers plus us on the big blind, so 800. Uh, it feels because everyone limped. I feel like you have to bet. I don't think you can. I don't think you can expect somebody to bet here when it was a limp pot and it's all high cards. I mean. You might get someone to bet, but if they don't, you've missed a street of value. And then if a spade comes, the board pairs, and then you're like, ugh, and then you don't know where you are. You might as well get money in when you know you have the best hand. Um, I, I'm all for slow playing if I knew somebody behind me would bet, or if it wasn't two spades. Um, and I'm fine with slow playing the nuts in certain situations, but we have multiple players here who limped. The types of hands that limp are ace rag suited. The types of hands that limp are jack-10 when there's other limpers already. So I I just I feel like I need to put some money in here now. I know I'm probably going to bet too much, and they're all going to fold, and then I'm going to be like, eh, I only got 800 out of this or whatever. But I, I feel like I I'd rather – Yeah, exactly. I never worry about not making money. So I like that better than uh, losing my entire stack by letting somebody catch up to me. Yeah, so – Let's uh let's make a three quarter size bet, maybe. I don't know, like six fifty or something. Six hundred? Uh I'm definitely betting here. This is the whole reason that I like my limp is because now my hand's disguised, right? So yeah. no one's gonna think that I have ace king here. No one's gonna think anybody has ace king here, right? 
So now we're betting out, and yeah, it is kind of a weird board. So you know, maybe somebody puts us on eight nine and thinks we flop that straight and gets out. Um, but I think there's going to be some people that are questioning what we have here and questioning whether we're trying to steal it on this scary board. And we have a much better chance of getting uh, paid off um, by betting out, I think, and getting raised. Um, and definitely to your point, I'm like, I don't. You're right. I, I think this is a, a definitely a flop that could get checked around with only four players in there. And then then that spade comes, and then you're gonna go like, oh man, because now your hand's really compromised, right? Yeah. So, I'm gonna put a bet out there. I guess I was thinking half pot, which is what I normally do, but I'm not opposed to 600 or 650 or whatever you said. Yeah. So, um, actually, it's probably better to bet a little bit more because now it looks like we're scared. Um, and really, all we're scared of is a spade. But um, you know, <laughs> we got we got the nuts right now. So, we can get somebody to think that because we overbetted that we're vulnerable here. That that's even better. So yeah, I think you're probably right. So I'm going to go 600 instead of my 400. Sweet. Um, all right, uh, our hero checks to see what happens, um, but intends to check raise. Um, again, I'm not a big fan of check raising in general. Um, because now, now you're going to scream, hey, I've got a big hand, right? Right. And by betting out, now people don't know how big your hand is. They, they could think you're stealing. When you check raise, you're not stealing, right? Right. So that's why I don't like it. Um, and plus, we already mentioned that if you check and it doesn't get bet, then boom, <laughs> you're in trouble. So, um, All right. Uh, we get two checks, and then a player bets 600. So 14 in the, 1,400 in the pot, and it gets back to us. What do we do now? Do we know how much we had to start with? I can't. I don't know if I wrote it down. I don't see where I wrote it down. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, it was a two-hand email, so I'm trying to see whether it had information on the other one. But no, that's not. What All I right, had. so we don't know what we have, but I mean, because the right play could be the shove here. I don't know what we have. I mean, it's we're at the 100, 200 level, so that's probably what the third level. So, and we started starting stack was 20k. So, I mean, we don't okay, know. so we're probably not in shove mode. Yeah. We're probably still having <clears throat> stack, I would say. Oh, okay. Well, I don't mind. Since he won the check raise, we're going to check raise. Um, and I would have check raised anyway. I don't think calling is a smart move at all because a guy could be betting a flush draw or someone well, else could say, be. I wouldn't say a call is a smart move but uh, or the best move. But the one thing about the, the call is now it opens you up to represent spades that they come. True. Well, I, I remember one time I was at Sarasota Kennel Club and in a tournament, and I had the spades, and the other guy just called, and then he's like, well, I, I guess I shouldn't be betting in, trying to represent what you have, because he'd bet into me, and I rate, and he's like, oh, I, I was yeah, but, but trying to guy, think I had spades when we don't. I mean, I, I can't discount the fact that this guy is betting 600 doesn't have spades, because, you know, that's a good move at times, especially because I checked around, right? So Right. But and if you're wrong, you know, it's a semi-bluff, yeah. you know, so. David Sklansky. So, but again, um, I'm not suggesting I would call, but I mean, that that is an interesting um, point uh, or reason to call, maybe, is to give yourself the yeah, ability to represent spades. His, yeah, and his intent was to check race. Which really, so. at this point, though, we get the nuts, so we're not really scared about representing anything, right? So we, we, we got the best hand. So I guess I, that that's the silly thing that I think about that. So, yeah, you're right. No reason to call. Yeah, 1,800. All right. Um, we raised to twenty five hundred. Um, pretty significant. Yeah, that's a big raise. But if you you know 
He's got a reason for it. I mean, that could be what the pot is by now, right? We had fourteen hundred a pot. No, he made twice that. Yeah, that's a big. That's a big raise. But I still would. I would make it around eighteen or seventeen. But, but it also makes it a mistake for anybody to stick around for spades, which is the only thing we're worried about. Now, yeah. So. Yeah. Um. All right. The two people in between us fold, and then the initial better calls. Now he's been described as an older guy, mid to late fifties. Oh boy, mid to late fifties is older now. <laughs> wow. We're almost there, buddy. I know. Uh, he has been active in many hands, but has not shown down very many. Um, the turn is the six of clubs. So we're born now is queen of spades, jack hearts, ten of spades, six of clubs. And we are first act, of course. See, at this point, it's hard to come up with an amount to bet because I want to know what's in the other guy's stack. Yeah, that's true. It yeah. might be a thing where I want him to call or I don't want him to call or how much I think he will call based on a stack size. You know, so... It's difficult, but really, I might just put the hammer down on it now. Because why? What's he, you know, what's he calling for? If he's got a great hand, he's going to come over the top of us again. If he's got a draw, then you want to shut him out now. Now you want to put the hammer down on him. So I don't know. I mean, I I might consider a really big bet that puts him all in, or something that if I make a bet, he knows I'm not folding. But I'm gonna. That's a pretty big bet he made. So there's like. So this is like six grand in that pot now, almost. So, five, yeah, more than that, sixty-four hundred. Yeah, so I mean, that's, I mean, how much, how much, how much could he have in the stack? You know, if it started at twenty, and this one of them's got to be probably around average. So it started the hand. It's only going to have about, even if he had twenty, he'd have seventeen left. There's six in there. If you bet six, I mean, I guess you could get away with that. But maybe I just bet a little less in pot. You know, because I don't want to get value for my hand if this guy's got two pair. You know, so maybe I don't just shove on him. I, I'm not. I can't always worry about the spades. I just hate that we're not in position. Right. Um, right. Um, and again, if you had raised the ace king preflop, you might have gotten just one caller and flopped the nuts. So uh, let's let's just bet like two thirds to three quarters of the pot, and just fingers crossed the board doesn't pair or spade up. Yeah, I'll admit this is in a situation where I'm just not very good. Uh, at this point, I'm trying to figure out how to get the most value out of the hand, right? So, and this is why I don't like check raising because now we're in a weird spot because um, now we've established that we have a strong hand because we check raise. So now we got to take control of the hand again. Whereas had we bet out and just got called by this guy, now our hand is still disguised a little bit, right? It's yeah, just, we felt comfortable enough betting out, so we could be firing a blank here on the turn to uh, keep up appearances. But now, uh, we, we said we have something, so I think it's more likely that our opponent could fold now at the, by the check raise, right? So, now I don't know whether I want to bet, like, half the pot and try to keep them in. Um, that's still probably a little bit more than half the pot would still be a bad decision if he's drawing, but I don't think he's drawing. I think he has something, so... And then you bet too much here, then he's just going to melt away and not going to get anything out of it either. So, You don't think this guy could be drawing? I, I think he's less likely to be drawing. Doesn't feel like ace, five of spades, something like that? Uh, Limped, bet when well, no one like, wanted to bet? Five spades would be a hand that I would bet with there, too. I mean, I, I think I might have bet on the come as well, too, just because no one else was there in a scary board. So, yeah, there's a possibility that he's drawing, but I just think it's a little less likely. Okay. He could have something. But you're right. I mean, we probably should bet enough to make it a bad call for that as well, too. So I don't know what that is, 4000 maybe? Yeah, I was thinking 45 
something like that. Uh, that's probably the the best thing to go. But uh, not knowing how this hand ends up, I still think it would. The, the check race just kind of messed us all up. I think so. I don't the, know. We'll, these are the types of hands that really kill you because you started with 20,000 chips. You're like, ah, oh, man, I got tons of chips. I got 100, yeah, yeah. 100, 200. I still got plenty. I got 100 big blinds, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, one pot, one pot, and you're either completely crippled or out of this thing. Because now, look, if, the, if you're betting four grand here, what do you, what's going to happen on the river? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, one hand, and this is the World Series circuit main event. Yeah, third level. Yep. Third level. It's a it's a brutal game. Yep. All right, what happens? All right. Uh he bets thirty five hundred into the sixty four hundred pot and the opponent calls. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe he is drawing and just not I mean thirty five hundred is borderline on whether he gave the right product odds there. I'm not good at calculating that off the top of my head. But um so he still could be drawing. We actually don't know what this guy has now. We don't. <laughs> that's that's a real problem. I mean, but we still have the nuts. So that's fine. The problem's going to be coming if uh, the river's not a kind card for us. Yeah, I mean, at what hands are calling here? Suited aces, maybe. If he just he thinks he's in too deep, he can't let go. Top two pair. I think two pair. I mean, it could be jack ten as well too. I mean, yeah, or bottom two pair. But then even a set like what if one one of those cards hands raised preflop. Pocket tens, pocket jacks, pocket queens. So, really, you're up against. I mean, you're still winning. It doesn't matter. It's just you're gonna have to decide what this guy's doing when that spade hits on the river, or if the board pairs. If board he was pairs. drawing, or you know what I mean, or if he this was. Point, I think I'm more worried about the board spade, <coughs> to be honest. But, okay. Okay. Because it, it seems like this guy has a two pair hand of some sort. It doesn't have to be queen jack. It could be queen ten. It could be jack ten. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And then he's obviously cautious now because we check raise. So now he's got to wonder whether we have ace-king, and the fact that we didn't raise pre-flop makes it confusing to him whether we have ace-king, right? So, um, I, I very much sounds like this is a two-pair hand with the players being um, properly cautious against us. So, um, Alright, he says, at this point I put him on ace-king, maybe two-pair, but fairly certain we are chopping. Wow. So he thinks it's ace-king. Yeah. Well, the thing about it being ace king is that now you've got two players who limped with ace king in a particular hand, which is yeah, so doesn't make rare. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would be shocked if he turns over ace king. Yeah. And why wouldn't he have been if he bet out and then we check raise? Why wouldn't raise. he have raised again? Would have raised again right now. Yeah, right, right. We got a live one here. Yeah, absolutely. No, ace king just makes absolutely no sense for him right now. So, uh, two. I'm really, really. I'd put my money on two pair here. But okay. All right, the river is the four of spades. Of course it is. Yep. So our final board is queen of spades, jack of hearts, ten of spades, uh, six of clubs, four of spades. And again, we are first to act with 13,400 in the pot. Well, I mean, you have to check. And then if the guy shoves, you got to think about it. I mean, I, I want to put people to the test, but you can't put somebody who got the nuts in their hands to the test. So, you know, I don't, I don't see... Uh, I don't see a bet here now. I can't make a bet. If the guy now wants to value bet and bets like five grand, I'm calling. Right, right. But if the guy shoves on me and it's all my chips, I got to think hard about this. It, it seems like a suited ace to me. It always did from beginning to end. And, of course, two pair was a possibility. But is this a type of player that 
could represent that spade? Was he trying to tell the spade story the whole way, and now he's going to get to tell it when he has nothing or just has a queen in his hand? I don't know. Um, but I'm I'm willing to... I'm hoping this guy has 8-9 and that he bets and I call and he's got 8-9, I got ace-king, and I win a close one. But it just feels like spades. And, of course, we all think spades now, and so... Yeah, you know, can you let it go? I I don't know if I can let it go. There's so right. much I in that pot. I'm scared about the saves, but uh, you're right. I want to check and hope he makes a uh, a small value bet that I can call and then hope that I'm right. Right, and he does it with king nine or eight nine. Right, right. you know. Yeah, I'm gonna check. All right, our hero bets five thousand into that thirteen thousand four hundred pot, and we are called. Oh well, then you can't. You call it. Well, you could have a baby flush, I guess. Our opponent shows the king of spades, deuce of spades. Oh, my God. And scoops to 23,000. Still like the ace-king limp, buddy? Yeah. Well, you know, again, as I said, <laughs> if you didn't get in trouble now, I mean, uh, I, I, it's really – now we could go back and spend an hour replaying this hand here, but uh, king-deuce makes sense for the flush now because he was open-ended, too. He had that going for him as well. So I don't know whether we would have got this guy out of his hand, no matter what we would have done. So um, preflop, you yeah, obviously preflop raising that would be the way to go. So I, I guess that's the only solution here. Um, and I think if we would have played it my way after that betting out, you know, he's just going to keep calling, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't think you get him out unless you shove. And we after we the flop race was significant, <laughs> and decide to stick around for that, and then. And no one shows up. Maybe that, we so. underbet the turn, but it's still. I think even if we put a pot size bet in the turn. This guy's not going anywhere with. Uh, in fact, actually, it's really interesting to me that he didn't uh, shove over top of us. With he had a pretty massive draw here. Yeah, but none of the draws were to the nuts. That's yeah. the thing. Unless the ace of spades fell on the end. Um, it's it's. I, I again. I I preface the entire hand of the week by saying I get burned by ace-king so often when I don't raise with it. And it's not just the pairing of the the rag. It's it's also people getting in with crappy two-suited cards. And they'll make their flush after I'm betting my ace the whole way or betting my two-pair the whole way or betting my Broadway the whole way. And then somebody gets there at the end. And then you're like, oh, you know, I can't get this guy, shake this guy. And I, you want these kinds of players in your game because generally they're going to miss their draws and you're going to make all these chips for free. But on the chance that you know you you misplayed it, you let him stay and come into this hand for a limp, right? You know, and now if you raise with Ace King, and he calls with King Deuce, well now he's making a huge mistake, and then on that flop you you've already made a raise of the pot, so there's a lot more money in the middle, so you could bet more. You know, he might stick around, but he might not either. I don't know. I I, yeah. I just. I really wish we would know the chip stacks here because that would have made a difference in how else we could have played this well, too. I mean, right. if we could have put them all in earlier, then he might not be so likely to call it in. But if he, to, the stacks are deeper and, you know, he thought he could fade it and hope that he got lucky and he did, that would be a different story. But yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm still sticking to my limp. It, it was an unfortunate uh, hand how it played out. But uh, generally, I, I, I think I'm going to make more money myself the way I play. Limping with Ace King in the small play. You're going to lose more, too. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> we'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. 
Contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 